You are listening to the weekly podcast of Transformation Life Church in Muskegon, Michigan. We pray you enjoy today's message. These, when they came in, you should have gotten one. If you didn't, there's some down here on the chair. You can grab one after church. We are going to be hosting once again this year our Christmas tea. We had so much fun last year. We had, you know, we had beautiful tables all decorated. We had great food. And, and, and on that piece of paper, the front part tells you all about it. And then if you look on the back page of the first page, it gives you the menu so you'll know what we're having. And, and it's just going to be, it's a great time. We have a wonderful lady that's going to uh, share some stuff with us about her experience in life and things with the Lord. And so uh, you got to mark your calendars, December 19th, Women's Christmas Tea. And then, of course, after that, then we take a break and we don't really come back until after the New Year because the you know, the following week is Christmas, and then the following week is New Year's Eve, and then, oh my, hopefully we don't get too much snow. I said that word the other day, my granddaughter says, Grandma, don't be cussing. And I said, oh, oh, I'm sorry. And stay away from them four-letter words, you know, snow, 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 you know. I know a lot of you don't really maybe know me real well, but I'm from the South. I was born in the deepest part of the South you can get without getting wet. And so, you know, and uh, it was, I was born in the middle of the end of July, which is one of the hottest months of the world, right? And so, and of course, then my father told me I was the reason that they had the hurricane that year, you know. But I like it warm, but warm. Okay, warm is a four-letter word. Okay, I like it hot. <laughs> 80 degrees is my comfort zone. <laughs> Woo-wee! And you know what? When God pours on the heat, it just gets better and better and better, you know? I don't know, how many in here have been born again more than 10 years? Wow, lots of you. How many in here have only been born again for about five years? Wow, wow. John's not sure he's born again, so you can go pray for him afterwards. He's going, ah. He's a work in progress, aren't we all? <laughs> David's down there going, yes, I'm a work in progress. I'm just from the old school. I come up in the, you know, I come up in the world of the heathens. <clears throat> I'm probably fifth generation heathen. But then God does have a tendency to break generational curses, doesn't he? And then he has a tendency to take that which was pure in your heritage and bring it to the forefront and say, now walk in that. And so I had a praying grandma, thank God, otherwise I might not be here. I probably wouldn't be here. You know, it was really funny because she's always praying and preaching at me and pointing her finger at me and saying, Rosemarie, you need to get right with God. Come on, we're going to go to a tent revival. And then I, the, I ne didn't necessarily have the fear of the Lord. I had the fear of grandma, you know. <laughs> Anybody know that one? The fear of mama, the fear of papa, the fear of grandma. So I went, and God did something great. 
in my life. Maybe, maybe not back when I was 10 years old, but later on in life it all kind of sunk in and rose to the surface. And he began to break off generational curses and began to bring make through walks of deliverance. And, and uh, we talk about deliverance and stuff, but I, I tutored under a woman that taught deliverance out of Grand Rapids that had put the fear of God in you. You'd always go to her house, and when you'd knock on the door, you'd stand on the porch, and your knees would kind of shake together, and you'd say, God, if there be any unclean thing in me, don't let her see it. Because <laughs> for sure she would see it. But God is doing some stuff. My God, my God, my God. Well, I don't know, but it just went to 80 degrees up here. Come, it's comfortable. I'm not comfortable. I want you to know that. I'm not comfortable. I'm really shaking. I'm really standing here shaking. I mean, everything in me is shaking, and I'm not sure why. So that's kind of, if, you, if I feel like, if, you know, if y'all feel like I'm hesitating, it's because I'm not real sure what's going on right now. I'm I'm just standing here, and I'm, you know, I'm like, can you see my water bottle? Okay, I won't lean on the table, and it'll stand still. See? Calms down, don't it? I lean on the table. Now this water bottle is, is, is picking up my vibrations, I guess. <laughs> anyway, I'm not sure what God is doing. But you know what? There's so much that's going on in the world today. You know, you could be fearful and... And people are being crazy, and people are running, and fear. You know, the Bible talks about there's coming a time when people would, would you know, die because of the, the great dread and the fear that would come over their lives and, and, and because of the circumstances that we live in. And this is a day that's just like, you know, I mean, I grew up in the leave it to beaver stage. You know, father knows best, you know, happy days, you know, that kind of thing. That dated me, didn't it? <laughs> But that's like, you know, but then again, you know, we grew up, I, I kind of cut my teeth on the, what we, you know, like to coin the phrase, the Vietnam era, you know, when we did the sit-ins and the marches and the protests, and we wrote letters to our congressmen that was full of expletives that we can't say today. Attention to that, probably. But it was not a great time during that time in my early, you know, adulthood life, I guess you'd call it, because that was, you know, back in 1965 and that era of Vietnam. Lost a lot of friends. But God has brought us from being fearful to a place of hope and a place of rescue and a place... There, what can I say? Maybe I just need to just, you know, stop rattling and just prophesy. I don't know. But God is taking us to a place to begin to encounter his revelation. That, that there's, there's a, this is a season that when we look around at the world, you know, and of course the Bible says not to look at the things of the world, but we're to keep our eyes. I tell everybody, you know, you've got to remain vertical and, and keep away from that horizontal viewpoint. Because if you get a horizontal viewpoint, that's where you're looking out like this, it can be pretty scary. It can be pretty like, 
What's our world coming to? What's our government going to do? What's, our, what's the next step? Are we going to end up being, you know, a waste nation? Are we going to be, you know, what's going on? What's happening? And we can, we can, we can petition the Lord. Now, I, I, now I'm going to say this, and I'll, maybe I'll get a little bit bold here, but we can, we can come to God and, and, you know, with our knees shaking and go, God, what's happening? I'm just so afraid. I mean, it's like, wow, wow, wow. Well, did you see? Oh, my gosh, somebody shot up a whole bunch of people over on the other side of this country. And, and oh, my gosh, there's, there's bombs. And they say there's terrorists. And they say there's, and I'm just afraid. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. And God's going, what am I to do with these people? And then he leans over to the right. You know, God's sitting on a throne, right? He, he ain't been demoted in any sense. So he leans over to the right because the Bible says that Jesus ascended down to heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father to make intercession for us. So he's our mediator. He's our intercessor. He's our pattern for what we're supposed to do, right? And so he leans over to Jesus and he says, Son, you better pray because these people are having a hard time. And I have a feeling he says, I got it, Dad. Because yes, Matthew 24 kind of talks a little bit about what we can expect, right? You know, wars, rumors of wars, pestilence, famine. And, you know, and there's all of this. Every time I open my computer and get on the Internet, there's a commercial for you know, food that comes in little packages. I'm, I'm having a hard time finding my chocolate bundt cake that's covered with this beautiful, wonderful white glaze in one of these little packages that, that you know, is about that big. And, you know, and it lasts 25 years in the package. But, you know, you should get about 50 boxes of this at about $150 a box and put them under your bed because you never know when you're going to need them. Okay. Well, if you don't mind, I'll just figure this out as we go along. But it's amazing, isn't it? Amazing what's taking place in our world. And, and not just in the world, but in our own nation. The unrest. I mean, you know, the other day I'm, I, I'm, I'm listening to the news, and I, and I don't always listen to the news. I don't like the news because it never is very nice. Nobody ever talks about anything nice. They always tell you about, well, they probably tell you the truth, what's going on in the world, and that's probably not very nice. But the shoutings and the demonstrations, you know, we're, we're, we're a church, so we believe in standing with Israel. We believe that we are a covenant people and that we're grafted in and that God has said that Israel is mine. But then if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are grafted into that lineage. You are now serving the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as the God of Israel. And so, you know, you look at Israel and you think, what in the world is happening over there? And what does that mean to us? And then there's all of these, these, these demonstrations and, and violent you know, marches and stuff, you know, promoting Hamas and promoting the killings and promoting the destruction and death to Israel and down to Israel. And you go, what on earth 
they, they really ain't done anything that wrong, have they? I mean, even if I'm not a big, you know, Israel supporter, I can't understand how they would have deserved the attacks that they've been getting. I just, I mean, even if, you're, even if you don't look at it through, you know, the covenant relationship with God, you just look at him as a nation, right? I mean, it would be like, okay, all the United States decided that they don't like Michigan, so they're going to bomb us. Why? We haven't done anything wrong. I mean, okay, there might be some things in there that we could have changed and done better, like our election, maybe a governor or something, I'm not sure. Uh, but anyway, but the Bible is quite adamant about Israel. God speaks highly of Israel because Israel is his covenant people. So a lot of times we think to ourselves, well, what, why, do I have to, why do I have to pray for this nation that's left around the other side of the world, and it's not a very big nation. They say it's, what, about 50 miles wide and, you know, maybe a couple hundred miles long or something like that. It's just a little strip of land. But it's that little strip of land that God carved out. And when he brought them out of Egypt, he said, now follow me, and he says, and I'm going to send you, and I'm going to give you a promised land. That's Israel. He made covenant with Abraham, and he spoke the following in Genesis 12, 3. He said, I will bless those that bless you, and I will curse those that curse you, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. God wasn't just referring to Abraham as an individual. He wasn't just talking, well, Abraham, you and your family are going to be really blessed, and I hope you have a good time while you're living here on the earth and, you know, enjoy yourself and multiply and have kids and grandkids. And, you know, I mean, it's like the normal everything day of life, right, you know, that you do. He wasn't talking about that. But God was referring to Abraham and his seed, all of those descendants of Abraham, the Jews first, and then the Gentiles that are grafted in. That's us. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful. Because without that, I'm, I'm just pretty much a mess. But then you are too, so hey, don't be pointing no fingers up here. So we're commanded, really, not only to bless the physical nation of Israel in the Middle East, but we're to bless all Jews throughout the world. We're to bless them. We're to be a blessing to them. But instead, it seems like the whole world wants to destroy them. All I can say is they must be seeing something of that covenant that really irritates them. So when God made his promise to Abraham, he made it to the whole entire world. Anyone that would bless Israel will be blessed. And you kind of you tilt your head and you go, yeah, but why are they so special? Why? Oh, my goodness. You can't read your Bible. You've got to read your Bible. You can't study your Bible. You need to study your Bible. 
because she walks in covenant with God. The covenant that God made with Abraham, he made with Israel. In Genesis 15, 18 through 21, it says, On the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants, I have given this land, and from the river of Egypt to the great river and to the river Euphrates, and he lists a whole bunch of tribe names there that I can't pronounce. Anyway, anyway, and it goes out. And all of those that come behind you. He has, she has a covenant. She has a covenant with the Most High God. Genesis 17, 7 says, And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants, that's us, after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant. This is a covenant that cannot be broken. And it says this is an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. You know, in John chapter 17, it talks about the prayer that Jesus prayed. And, it, and in that prayer, he says, you know, thank you, Lord, for these that you have given me. And he talks about keeping them and making them as one and that, that kind of thing. And he says, not just those that you have given me here, but all those that will come after that. That's us. That's us and every single one of those people that you're, you're you know, pulling in, dragging in, praying in, whatever, however you're getting them in, you know, into the kingdom. That's us. And everything that comes behind us as well. The scriptures are really clear that the land in the Middle East from the Nile to the Euphrates were given to the Jews as a gift from God. Now, I don't think that God has a customer service department where you can make returns. So I'm thinking that that was pretty much set in stone, you know, that that's just how it is. That's the land that he talked about that he said I would bring you into, and it's called a promised land. And when God makes a promise, he doesn't break it. God is not a man that he would lie or deceive or manipulate. But to, again, too, she's the apple of his eye. The prophet Zechariah revealed that the physical descendants of Abram are the apple of God's eye. In Zechariah 2, 8, it says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, He sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. The term endearment in the Bible is not referred to any other nation but the nation of Israel, his people, his covenant people. That's us. Zechariah goes on in Zechariah 2.11 and says, uh, Zechariah goes on to provide another uh, revelation in the same chapter. It says, many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and they shall become my people, and I will dwell in your midst, and you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. So many nations will join with her. That's us. We come from lots of diverse backgrounds. Some of you are, you know, like to brag about your lineage, and some of you kind of like, like to keep it a well-kept secret. 
I love what, uh, um, I, I, I love Lisa Brevere. If you've ever heard her preach, and she's just a dynamic teacher. <coughs> she's very Italian. And she says, well, I am very Italian. I have part of my family is what they call Sicilian. They're not Italian. They won't admit to being Italian. They come from Sicily, which I think, what's the difference? They both eat pasta, right? <laughs> but she says, you can be thankful for the Italians. She says, I'm here today to tell you that we have brought good things to this country. Meatballs, spaghetti, and the mafia. <laughs> We've all brought something, right? Hey, my family brings things, right? We bring gumbo, jambalaya, and swamp people. <laughs> but non-Jews can find great joy in knowing fully well that if we accept Christ, we will be joined with Israel. And he looks at us and says, they are the apple of my eye. Romans 11, 11 through you know, in, in that passage right there, the Apostle Paul states that Gentiles who accepted Christ are grafted spiritually into the Jewish nation and become a part of God's chosen people. The Apostle Paul also stated the order in which salvation comes to the world in Romans 1.16. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believeth, for the Jew first and also for the Greek or the Gentile. She's the apple of his eye. That's why we need to be concerned about Israel. That's why we need to pray for her. And she's also, what I like to look at, she is also a prophetic time clock. Jesus stated that when we see certain things begin to happen concerning the nation of Israel, we should know that his return is near. You know, how many, how many preachers were out there already going, oh my goodness, Feast of Tabernacles, Passover, oh my gosh, here we are, Day of Purim, oh my goodness, we're, we're heading, we're heading for, we're heading for. Whew, he didn't come. But this is the time. They look at the seasons and they say, this is when he will appear. Of course, we don't know the date or the day or the hour. It is of his choosing. But one of these days, God's going to lean over to the right of his throne and say, son, and Jesus is going to say, yeah, dad. And he's going to say, go get your people. Oh, my goodness. All I can say is if it happens on a Sunday, I pray that all of those that are left in the pews and the chairs and stuff like that realize that they had just come up just a little bit short. Because the Bible says that after that, we face the great tribulation. But on the other hand, there were many that were saved out of the great tribulation. So there's hope for them yet. 
Matthew 24, 32 through 33 says, Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branches have already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, know that it is near. It is at the door. And Luke 21, 24 says, And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. The prophecy of the fig tree was fulfilled on May 14th of 1948 when Israel became a nation. Me and Israel are the same age. Boy, that dated me, didn't it? I know, I look really good for as old as I am. But the times of the Gentiles in Jerusalem were fulfilled in June of 1967. And in that year, Israel regained control of Jerusalem in the Six-Day War. Have you ever heard of a war only lasting six days? That's almost impossible, but, you know, with God, they say. But the Gentiles had possessed control of Jerusalem for centuries, but up until that date, God said, this far and no more. And these are just two Bible prophecies that center around the nation of Israel. And what we're seeing today of what's taking place is prophecy. You know, we, we have a tendency to want to pray, you know, and we want to pray for the safety and the well-being and the provision. And we want to pray all of those things for, for the nation of Israel. This is true, and we should, rightly so, be praying for them. But on the other hand, it's God pulling things into alignment for his return. So right now, I feel a burden, a a strong pull that as God's people, there's a call that's released to us to be facing heaven, to be looking upward, to be putting sin away out of our life, to live, you know, uprightly and passionately for God. Their major prophetic ministries have, have released words over the last, uh, you know, months or few years or whatever that have referred to the need for us to be like the sons of Ishkar, to return to those days when that ministry, that, that anointing, was prevalent. And what they mean is obvious and very needful. But there's something more that we need to grasp. We're not only a people looking at a world that's shaking under all that's happening. And we are certainly not just seeing the obvious. But in these days, God is pouring out his spirit on people resulting in signs and wonders, dreams, visions, prophetic revelation. I've been listening to a young man that just took over the ministry from Rick Joyner, and he came in as director and CEO of Morningstar Ministries. He's a young man by the name of Chris Reed. This man carries an anointing like a, like a gentleman that I followed years ago by the name of Bob Jones who went on to be with the Lord several times, actually. And God sent him back. 
He said, I literally got to heaven and sat there, and God said, you know you can't stay here. You got a message. Go back. And he came back. 45 minutes he was dead. 45 minutes. They quit working on him. They quit, you know, trying to resuscitate him. Told his wife he's gone. She goes, oh, no. God spoke to me and said he's not. Went into the ER room, laid her hand upon his chest. God sent him back. Came back with a powerful prophetic message for the world and for the church. But the young man that just took over for Morning Star Ministries has a like meth, like anointing that he had in the sense that, you know, he would say, well, let me see now. I'm, I'm in a place where I know nobody here. And he would say, hey, Tammy. And Tammy would go, he knows my name. I want to talk to you about your daughter, Jessica, and I want to talk to you about your son. And it's like, how does he know I have all this? I listened to him minister to a woman the other day, and he, he named all three of her sons in order. And she's about falling on the floor because she said, I've never been, I've never been here before. I'm a, I'm a visitor. I've never met him before. Never talked to him before. Didn't talk to him at any time. He prophesied to another couple. He said, he said I, I, I hear the number six, eight, six, eight. And this lady raised her hand and she said, well, that's my birthday. I was born June 8th of 1968. And he said to her, he says, I want to tell you about your son that has been away from the Lord, that he's coming back. And I want to talk to your husband. Is he here? And she said, yes, he's right here. And she said that the Lord gave him, he didn't know their names. He said the Lord gave him a word and said, I hear the word peach. Peach was her maiden name. And he says, and I hear the Lord saying that I am going to do a grand impartation to that anointing that's upon your family. And she said, my maiden name was Peach and my husband's last name is Grand. And he says, and oh, by the way, that heart surgery that you just had, he said the doctors did tell you that you had to walk carefully because there was two arteries that they couldn't get to that were partially blocked. He said, God's unblocking them right now. And the woman about fell on the floor. She said he had open heart surgery two weeks before that and said the doctor told him that there were two arteries that they couldn't unblock. God is releasing anointings upon the earth to bring them up in such a way that God can make himself known to his people and to those around about them. This is a season we're entering of signs, wonders, and miracles. 
And as we pray for Israel, God is looking at these times that we face and he's revealing his will and his purpose for what Israel is going through. You know, there's some similarities if we really stop and think about it. There's been prophecies that we've had like terrorists that have come up through our southern border, you know, the drug cartels and all of those that want to do great damage to our nation coming up through our southern border. Well, where do you think Hamas came up into Israel? Their southern border. Their southern border. And as we are called and adopted in as sons and daughters, we are called to work alongside of him as co-workers. So whatever is possible for him is possible for us. That is, if you're willing our, our Bible study is talking about Elijah, and the, the keynote that runs through that is, are you willing to do what Elijah did to get what Elijah had? I don't know about you, but I'm getting up there. And there's times when it's like I don't even want to get out of bed. It's times when I think, okay, I'm out of bed, but... And I just go in and take a shower and go back, <laughs> you know. But God is asking us to take that extra step. He's asking us to walk those extra walks. He's asking us to come and to dig deep and to begin to understand where we're at in history. Every nation, every, every generation has an impact on history. Where are you at in that? And what's even greater is that around this wonderful globe of ours, there are thousands upon thousands of people that are joining us in this phenomenal journey. And when God said that he was going to shake everything that could be shaken so that our confidence would rest in Christ alone, he meant it. It wasn't just a cliche. He meant it. And for those with wisdom, such shaking, be it on a personal, a national, or an international scale, is actually for our good. It shakes us and causes us to become attentive to what God is doing in the world and in our nation. There's been some pretty prolific prophetic words. I almost didn't get that out prolific, prophetic words that have been released that have talked about the United States of America and how they've, they have designs, you know. I mean, Hamas is not just, you know, the, the terrorists are not just over in the Middle East. They live amongst us. They are here. They say there are multiple sleeper cells all across this nation, and they have intentions at some point to wreak great havoc upon our land. But when we look at the world and we look at the shaking that's going on in every sphere of life, and including the church, it's not surprising. It's really not surprising. I think the atmosphere almost has to make, 
begin to make a vibration or a sound or, 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 or something that's got to happen in the atmosphere, you know, even before Christ makes his, his final step, when he makes that step down and he puts his foot on the Mount of Olives, or even before that, when he calls his church and says, come here with me, i got to show you some things. It does kind of, however, raise a question in my mind as to where are the sons of Ishakar? That those people that understand the times and the seasons and what to do according to the scripture out of First Chronicles. See, Ishakar was only one of the 12 tribes of Israel whose name meant he will bring a reward. Some may find it amusing that Jacob refers to Ishakar as a strong one crouching down between two burdens in Genesis 49:14. The tribe of Ishakar was not the largest tribe, but it was one of those that was the most significant. And they were so gifted, but they had a degree of courage and bravery and wisdom to follow the leading of the Lord. Now, they weren't prophets. In the Old Testament, we find the prophets, and they're going about doing their prophetic ministry. They're doing their business. The sons of Ishakar were not prophets, so don't look at yourself and say, well, I'm not one of those because I'm not a prophet. They weren't prophets. They were servants. Ouch. The Bible introduces or refers to the prophets when they mention them under titles such as messenger, man of God, or Navi, Navi meaning prophet. The sons of Ishakar are not mentioned in any way, and no predictive word, direction, or correction is given by them to show otherwise. They arose during a time when there was a great political tension between David and Saul, and we all know that story. And the tribes were in conflict and transition, and the government was changing, and the prophets who do appear at this time were Nathan and Gad. And they were moving the government from the house of Saul to the government of David. And we all know that even though Saul was anointed, that he kind of got off on his own and started doing things that were kind of contrary to what God wanted him to do, and God removed him. But Ishakar would be the group that would be given great insight into how this shift would happen. They would be the people that would blow the shofar, and they would be the people that would sound the alarm. They would be the people that would go to the leaders and say, this is what we're seeing. And the leaders would take that into consideration. And they would make their plans likewise. The Jewish teachings point to Ishakar as being a tribe that had religious scholarship and that they were like intellectual men, that they were well-versed in, and they knew about what was going on politically and in the, in the nation. And, and, and so they, 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 were, they, were, they could perceive it, and then they could advance the information as it was given, and, and then the leaders would pick it up and they would respond to it in the way that God would lead them. 
the prophets were there to declare and decree to make those prophecies of what God was doing. The sons of Ishakar would come along and really confirm that prophecy and say, this is what I see God doing, this is what I hear, and this is what I perceive is going on in the land. And so therefore, you know, listen to what the word of the Lord is for you for this season. We need to be listening to what God is saying about this season. We live right now, today, in such a prophetic timeline that it's crazy. Jesus even made things in Matthew 24, made things very clear to the entire church that whether they choose to listen, read, hear, or obey, he asked them to know the times that they live in and what to do. Jesus points to all things that are happening and says that when these things occur, he says, look up, for your redemption draws nigh. People, <laughs> we need to look up. This is truly, if not into the end time, it is the beginning of the end of time. But we don't have an end to our time. We have an eternal relationship with God. We're eternal beings. So much has happened, and so much has happened even since 2011, and it has happened rapidly and swiftly, and we're seeing these signs. And, you know, you begin to pray that, God, that even for the very elect's sake, that's us, the very elect, those that are his followers, those that are his, his people, even for their sake, that those days would be shortened. But it's a call to face heaven. It's a call to put away sin. You know, the Bible says we're not even to entertain the very appearance of evil. That God knows everything. So whether we're, we're out there being you know, flamboyant and, and reckless and crazy to the world, inside, when the doors are shut, when no one is seeing or judging you, when it's just you, God is there. We need to reject any, anything that doesn't come in line with the word of God for us. And many of the prophecies that have gone out today are calling for an arising of the sons of Ishakar. And what they mean is obvious and needful because there's something more that we need to grasp. We're not merely people looking at a world shaking, but we are above all else a prophetic people hearing from God. And in these days, as God's pouring out his spirit upon his people, resulting in what we're seeing happening in these arenas that are just phenomenal displays of who God is, because God himself is looking at the times that we face, and he's revealing his will. He's revealing his purpose. He is speaking to those who are listening so that we know what he wants to do. And because he has adopted and grafted us in, we are called to work alongside of him 
we are co-workers, joint heirs with Christ. And the Great Commission is our awesome opportunity to walk with him. And every day, every day. Now, you might say, well, I'm not familiar with the sons of Ishakar. I don't know who they are. That Bible almost pulled in half. Thought I was going to get baptized. <laughs> and then Pastor Ken's not even here. That's interesting. But those that carry an Ishakar anointing understand the signs of the times. They have discernment. They have knowledge. They seek wisdom through the word and know what to, needs to be done and when to do it. And they act on these words. First Chronicles 12.32 says, From the tribes of Ishakar there were 200 leaders of the tribe with their relatives. And all these men understood the signs of the times and knew the best course for Israel. You know, I don't know about you, but, you know, and, and this president is interesting. If he remembers what he's doing. But our former president came into office, and all of a sudden, he was surrounded by a great multitude of pastors. And they would meet with him, and they would pray for him, and they would... You would prophesy to him, and, and he was listening to them. And, 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 and our new speaker of the house, oh, my goodness, is that not awesome? God put a man in place. He said, I will not apologize for being a Christian. And he says, and it has everything to do with the way I do business. And I thought, oh, right. Maybe he's got the anointing as a son of Ishakar. But they could be best described in a few terms. And number one is uh, that they are, they are intercessors. They recognize what's happening in the spirit. They just, they just pick these things up. Have you ever just, has anybody in here ever just said, I knew that was going to happen? No? No? I, I think there's probably a few that I, I recognize that probably have that. But they begin to pray, not just for the nation or the world, but they begin to pray for their neighbors, their, their neighborhoods, their, you know, all of those things. Isaiah 62, 6 and 7 says, I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem, and they shall never hold their peace day or night. And you who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent and give him no rest until he establishes, until he makes Jerusalem a praise in all the earth. Give him no rest. See, they're, they're not only intercessors, they not only pray, but they are spiritually alert and awake. Anybody here awake? Anybody here sleeping? I mean, look around, and if you see somebody sleeping, you know, thump on them or something. Or you can borrow my water. It spurts up when you squeeze it. Ishakars don't run and hide. They rise and shine. They're strong and alert. 
They are not lulled asleep by lies or intimidation. And they don't turn their head to hear what man has to say, what the media is reporting, or whatever that case is. But they are strong in the Lord because they focus on him. They are vertical people, not horizontal. And the Lord is the anchor that they hold on to. Their mind, their will, their emotion, they fortify the, the, the walls of their heart. And they're aware of the spiritual atmosphere around them. They understand the times. I think there are more people in here than, than maybe you know that are truly tapping in and understanding what God's doing in the world today. The Bible talks about two time zones. One is chronos, which is the chronological time that we live in, and one is kairos, which is considered what they call a specific or an opportune time or an appointed time. Sons of Ishakar recognize the times that we live in as not just being something that's just, well, this this is this, and it'll come to pass, and then it'll go away, and it'll come to naught. No, the sons of Ishakar have their ears attended to the Lord to hear and to ask and to say, God, this is your opportune time. This is not a, a logos moment. This is not a, a chronos time. This is a kairos time. This is your appointed time. The reason that Israel is doing what Israel is doing, the reason that the world is rising up against her is because this is a time, an appointed time for your prophetic line to be drawn in the sand and that people will begin to arise and see. We had prayer the other night and it's like a burden just kind of landed on me and I began to pray and prophesy to Israel and I kept saying, this is your appointed time. Arise and see, you know, Yeshua, Hamashiach, Jesus, the Messiah. He is appearing to them. There are so many dynamic messianic ministries in the nation of Israel. I pray that God would let their faces glow with the glory of his presence. That those people that are stumbling going, why? What's happening? What's going on? Whoa, my neighbors have all been killed or my neighbors are in exile. What's going on? That they would stumble upon them. And that the sons of Ishakar anointing would come upon them and they would say, Yeshua is working in our midst. And that they would come to know their Messiah. They understand the climate of the things that are going on. First Chronicles 12.32 says, The sons of Ishakar had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Their chiefs were only 200, and their brethren were at their command. The sons of Ishakar, they act when wickedness is released. They take action. We see a fine demonstration of this in Daniel 11, 32 through 35. 
that when the anointing was released, wickedness was in the land and the powers were coming against the covenant. There were, you know, just crazy stuff going on. And, but it says, but people who know their God, they were strong and would do great exploits. They didn't stand around comparing notes or complaining or criticizing. They were acting. They understood what the opposition was, but they saw the opposition as a road to refinement. Daniel 11, 32 through 35. Those who do wickedly against the government, he shall corrupt with flattery. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. And those of the people who understand shall instruct many. Yet for many days they shall fall by the sword and the flame by captivity and plundering. But when they fall, they shall be added with a little help. But many shall join with them. And some of those understanding until the time of the end, because it is still for an appointed time. Daniel understood what he had to do during the, those times. He had that Ishakar anointing. Sons of Ishakar had a, a passion and a devotion to Yeshua and the things of God. The Lord is rising up a people today because of the desires for his bride to draw nigh to him to be anointed with power. His heart is for, filled with com compassion. He wants us to come out of agreement with the religious, with the orphans, with the Jezebel spirits. He wants us to break those ties in our lives and come in to agreement with the anointing that he's releasing to understand the times and the seasons. And he invites us to tap into that covenant relationship and be radically, radically devoted. You know, it's not a case of, and, and I know some people in here that are like that, it's not a case of, oh, I'm a Christian, I go to church. You know, I'm over here, I, I go to church, I'm a Christian. Church is my place, I, I just hang out in the... I sit in the front row or the back row, and I'm being changed daily. I, I just know I need to be changed. No, no. I, I think, think we need to get over ourselves. I don't tell people, you're not all that in a bag of chips. You know, somebody told me one time, you're not all that in a bag of Doritos, and don't forget that they use Doritos, and they crush them all up, and make walking tacos. I'm not sure what that meant. But 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5 says, But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiver, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having a form of godly but denying its power. And it says, and from such people, 
turn away. Turn away. So for all of you people who want to just sit in the pew and twiddle your thumbs and go hear a good sermon and then go home and make a pot roast and, you know, go about your day and never consider whatever God's doing the rest of the day or the rest of the week until next week when you come back to church. This is a time we need to arise. God is calling us. This is the call. Ken asked me the other day, what's the title of your message? And I said, I don't know. You know, pick something. I don't think he ever did. But what defines, you ask, what defines this Ishakar anointing? We're all familiar with the menorah, and you can put that image up there if you want to now. You will see the giftings of the sons of Ishakar displayed in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. And the King James Version reads, And there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. I love what the Message Bible says that it says that the life-giving spirit of the God will hover over them. And the spirit that brings wisdom and understanding, the spirit that gives direction and builds strength, the spirit that instills knowledge and the fear of God will be his joy and delight. He won't judge by appearances and he won't decide on the basis of hearsay. He'll judge the needy by what is right render decisions on earth. His words will bring odd attention. A mere breath from his lips will topple the wicked. And each morning, he'll put on his sturdy work clothes and boots and build righteousness and faithfulness in the land. That's the sons of Ishakar. If you look at the menorah, the, mo- the menorah is, the menorah is, is uh, built in one piece. It's fashioned out of one piece. And so there's no joints and there's no, you know, welding points or anything, I guess, if you had maybe bought one at, at you know, at Five Below or at, at, you know, Dollar General or something, there might be some welding pieces on that, I'm not sure. But the original menorah represents the Lord. He is the fire within. And you can see that in the middle. Now, what's wonderful is that, that God divides them up into twos. So in this, you begin to see how he did that, and he brought them out into twos. We have wisdom and understanding is the pair. And we have counsel and might, which is the next pair. And then we have knowledge and the fear of the Lord, which is the next pair. The seven lamps of fire burning on the menorah burn before the throne, and they represent what's called out of Isaiah 11:2, the seven spirits of the living God. You'll find it mentioned here. You'll find it mentioned in the book of Revelations. You'll find it that this was what stood in the holy place of the tabernacle or of the tent. 
the temple. When the priest would go in, he would go in, and before he would enter the Holy of Holies, he would go through this inner court, and on one side would be, would be a table which would have the showbread, and on the other side would be another table that would hold the menorah. The Bible says that we are to keep the lamps lit. Never let the oil go out. God uses a, uh, an analogy of the ten virgins, and it says that out of them, five virgins let their lamps run out of oil. They weren't attentive to making sure that the oil was there. You know, the oil is representative of the Holy Spirit. It represents the presence of God in our life. In Psalms 133, he talks about unity amongst the brethren and how it's like oil that's poured down over the head of Aaron. Aaron was the high priest and how it went down over him and onto the congregation and out. The oil is what we seek for. The oil is what we long for. The oil is what causes us to be able to burn before the Lord. The ten virgins were foolish. They were all about the things of the world. They were all about what was going on around them. They were all about, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, well, honey, did you get your nails done this week? Okay, let's go get our nails done this week. But I don't have much oil. And so, well, we'll get some when we get back. But the other ones were attentive. Maybe they got their nails done. Who knows, right? But they did it knowing that their lamps were full that if the bridegroom came, they were ready, that the oil, and he says that even, even in this, this representation, the oil was to never run out. The priest would attend to it daily, making sure that the lampstand of the Lord never went out. Do you need a dipstick today to figure out where your oil level is? I never laughed so hard in all my life. I went to a gas station one time. And this was back in the day when the guy would come out and pump your gas. And I got out of the car, and he says, oh, no, no, I'll pump your gas. And I said, okay. And I said to him, I just wanted to check my oil. Oh, well, they have a dipstick for that. And I looked at him, and I thought, yeah, I'm looking at him. <laughs> no kidding. First Corinthians 2, 13 and 14 says, These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. But the natural man does not perceive the things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. The word of the Lord is relevant for some of us. We can't live without it. You can't live without it. It's the oil that comes into you that keeps you aflame before the Lord. It's the oil that when the bridegroom returns, you're not rejected, but you're accepted. 
He recognizes his bride because of the, the, the light that's in their lampstand, because the oil that's in their, in, their, in their lamp. He recognizes that. That's why the Lord can't deal with people or work through people that are just all about what's theirs and no more and what concerns them and no more. We have to get eyes to look out and see that today, people, today, the fields are ripe. The harvest is plenty. Revelation never changes the word, but it reveals the truth in the word. And with the word, there is light. And in the light, there is revelation. Psalms 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The barrier to revelation is the saint who insists upon gaining it by themselves. You'll never gain it on your own. It must be given to you. It's not just what will be but the revealing of what already is and what is about to come. The tabernacle was revealed to Moses in heaven and represents many hidden truths in God's plan. The revelation in Exodus was given 1,400 years before Christ when God revealed it to Moses. And in Exodus 25, 8 and 10 says, and let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell among them according to all that I show you. That is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of its furnishings, just so you make it. The tabernacle was the holy of holies. It was where they met God. That's why when Pastor Ken made this church or, or built this ministry, he said, our place of meeting is not a sanctuary. God's not going to let us hide out. But it's a tabernacle. It, the tabernacle in those days had a thick veil, and it was where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. It was where the mercy seat of God was. It's where the priests went in and, and brought the sacrifice and applied the blood on the mercy seat and begged God for forgiveness for the nation. Just outside that was the lampstand. The lampstand represented the Holy Spirit. And with the oil representing the consecrating power of the Holy Spirit and the oil sustaining the flames that would shine, and that is the body of Christ. Nothing in Scripture is without meaning and purpose if we only have eyes and ears to see it and hear it. The seven-armed lampstand represents the seven spirits of God having seven streams of the Holy Spirit, with the number seven being God's number of perfection. You have to know that you don't operate in any of those if it were not for the one in the center. 
the mainstream of the lampstand represents the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, the power of God. The other six streams represent what we can expect to walk in, knowledge and fear, counsel and might, wisdom and understanding. They're not seven different spirits. There's only one Holy Spirit, but there's seven streams that pour from it. In Isaiah 11:2, we read that the spiritual revelation of the tabernacle lampstand called the menorah was patterned from what God, what, what God showed Moses. And we still hold on to that today. It says that the spirit of the Lord will rest upon them, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. If you think you have wisdom, mark it with understanding because they go together. Spirit of counsel and might. Those who counsel with the Lord are mighty in spirit and a force to be reckoned with. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Those that know God will know that there's a place that we come to where we reverence the things of God. We don't take lightly. We don't mock or make fun of. We, don't, we, don't, we take with all seriousness the things of God. I fear for those churches who have turned into entertainment centers who are preaching the word that will tickle your ears and entertain you, but never change you or compel you to walk with God on a higher level. The fear of the Lord is what keeps us hedged in, keeps us protected from destroying ourselves. I always used to say that I was the great, uh, I didn't have to worry about anybody else destroying me. I was bent on destroying myself, and I worked really hard at it. But God restores. God restores us. God alone could do such a work. I mean, you could probably run into a whole bunch of people in this world that will say, oh, we're just really, really good people, and we, we give to this charity and to that charity, and we, we, we treat our children well, and we, you know, we have jobs, and we pay our taxes, and we're just really, really good people. But God's not coming back for a people that's just really, really good. He's coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle, those who, who walk in wisdom and understanding, those who walk in counsel and might, those who walk in knowledge and in the fear of the Lord. He wants a people that he not only knows, but a people that knows him. Those who carry an Ishikara anointing understand the times that we live in. They have discernment and knowledge. They seek the wisdom of God through the word to know what needs to be done. And they activate these words. They understand the signs of the times. 
They don't just seek to understand, but they also want to put action into their understanding. Those who carry an Ishakar anointing are not only intercessors, for they are like Habakkuk, who in chapter 2 of Habakkuk says, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. And then the Lord answered and said, Write your vision. Write the vision that I show you. Write it and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. The sons of Ishakar hear, understand, and articulate the word of the Lord for the times and the season that they live in. They write it down. They make it plain. And like Habakkuk, they they, they savor it for those that will read it and run with it. And then he says in verse 3, he says, For the vision is yet an appointed time, but at the end it will speak, and it will not lie. And even though that it tarries, he says, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry long. So like Habakkuk, we hear. Some of us have been intercessors for a long time, and we, have, we sometimes get weary, and so we step down off the wall a little bit, and we back up a little bit, and we, we think, oh, Lord, this is somebody else's call now. It's not that. But it's time. Habakkuk was one of those that had gotten down and, and then found out what, how important his job was and ran back up and said before the Lord, I will stand on my rampart. I will watch and see what you will say. You may not think you're significant. You may not think what God speaks to you is all that or important, but you don't know that. Because that which God speaks to you needs to be released so that it can be judged and it can be, it can be, it can be de, de, you know, use discernment to see what God is trying to tell us in the whole. You know, the Bible says we see in part. That's just a piece. We hear in part. But together we are a whole story. So, this is my call to the wall, people. The call to understand the times. The call to be radically devoted to Jesus. The call to step into that place of hearing. And even if you don't understand what you're hearing, even if you don't understand what God is saying, still write it down. Still bring it. Still, submit it. God's raising up people who have a desire to walk in this Ishakar anointing. We, we are to mobilize and to move to the front lines. We're, we're to, we, we desire that God would be able to, to develop great ideas for, for our nation, for our city, for our community, our neighborhood. And, and we people who are awakened, those of us whose ears are attuned to what God is saying, our eyes are watching 
to see what he wants to release. Those people are so needed in this hour. Many of us are like, we can fall into that category of the Martha and Mary story where Martha comes out to Jesus and said, well, Jesus, I'm just exhausted because I've been working all day and I've been preparing and, and I have dinner already cooked and the house is clean and Mary, she's just been sitting there and she's not helping me. But Jesus looked at her and he said, but Mary's chosen the best part. She was waiting. She had a desire down deep inside of her to hear what Jesus had to say. So many of us have gotten too busy. Many of us are looking for the next great thing. Many of us are running here and there and all over the place. I need to go to this conference. I need to go to that conference. I need to follow this internet star. I need to, you know, make sure that this is going on because I just know that that's where God's at. Well, I'm so sorry that he abandoned you over here, you know, because my Bible says that God is omnipotent. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere without limitation, without any, any boundaries or borders. He doesn't live within the confines of your dimensions. So maybe you were once like that, but maybe not now so much. And I don't just preach at you, I'm preaching at me. I have found it difficult. You know, the body don't move quite like it used to when I was 35. <laughs> but I have found that there's a season that we're in right now that needs you, needs me, needs all of us. Prophetic words have been given years ago about Michigan. Some have picked up the mantle to pray over Michigan. Some have traveled the borders and anointed borders and anointed highways and, and prayed over Michigan. I would say there's been several thousand people that have picked up that call to hear what God has to say for Michigan. Because a prophecy that was released by a pretty incredible and prolific voice says that as so goes Michigan, so goes the nation. But then there was just a word that was released not long ago that says, and so goes Israel, so goes the United States, that we are the mirror image of our sister. Ishakar's time is now, like never before, to arise, to come, to let God unleash that in you. If you feel like that you were once that way, but you had backed away because maybe you got hurt, maybe you got burned out, maybe you got whatever the case may be, 
and your ears all of a sudden aren't hearing, and your eyes all of a sudden aren't seeing. And maybe now you're thinking to yourself, I, I, need, to, I need to let God activate that in me. We have some pretty powerful prayer people here. And I know that God is speaking to them about things to do, streets to walk on, ministries to support, and who to back away from. How to operate, how to move forward. Because I believe we have an anointing on this ministry that is kind of unique. Maybe you've seen that, maybe you haven't. But I believe the best days are yet ahead of us. And I believe that God is preparing us to walk as the sons of Ishakar, to understand what he's doing in our communities, in our city, in our state, and in our nation. And that God is not limited by any boundaries. And that when he releases his word, he says, my word never, never, never returns void. It accomplishes what it's set out to accomplish. And so in, in that, when you hear the word of the Lord, the sons of Ishakar would hear what God was saying, and they would release that word. They would give those directions, those instructions, those warnings. Not necessary prophecy, but it could be that. But still... Hearing what God has to say about where we go, what we do, where we set our feet. So God wants us to begin to pull that anointing down to us. Some of us have struggled really hard and some of us have have you know, just felt like the onslaught of the enemy has just come against us or come against our families. And we're like, why, 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 why? Because there's a call. I guess the title of my message would be, this is a call. There's a call. There's a call upon your lives. There's a call upon your lives. There's a call on your family that is incredible that you would not even believe if God told it to you at this point. I'm serious. The Peggers, you guys, I'm saying that you have fought the onslaught of the enemy on the left and on the right. But God said, watch me work a work in such a season that you would not only be amazed, but you would be so humble to your knees that God says, I have a call upon you and your lineage that there is something that God has deposited inside of the two of you that will trickle down into your children and into your children's children and into the generations to come. And that's why you have fought the fight that you have fought. Lose not heart or hope. God is moving on your behalf. Hallelujah. I have witnessed God take people from places that you would think that there was no hope for them, there was no way that they would ever amount to anything, and bring them and set them before him and say, I, I, I ordain you, son. I ordain you, daughter. I'm calling you up. I am making you. 
a display of who I am. And in this Ishakar anointing, you're going to find yourself stepping into places in prayer, stepping into places of, of just study as you read the word, as you commune with God. And he will open up these windows. I want to release open visions right now. John, I release open visions to you right now. God's not only going to speak to your heart, he's going to show you in a vision of people and places and things that you will do and accomplish. He's saying, I'm anointing you for such an hour as this. This is not a season to step back. This is a season to run forward, run to the altar, run to him, run to him, go before him in your private time, in your closet, in your, in your time together with your husband or your wife or your prayer partner or whatever, come together. Ask God for everything he has for you. No limitations. Don't say, God, I'll walk in that. That looks like me. But say, God, I know that looks like me, but I think you have more. I think you have more. Brett, I see the Lord saying to you that this is a season of, of elevation. God says, I am bringing you up. You have walked on this place, this place, but God says, no, I'm bringing your feet to higher ground. He says, I'm, a, I'm anointing you to speak, to preach, and to lay hands on those, and when you do, you will be followed with signs, wonders, and miracles. God, I'm sending you out as my disciples. You are my apostle. I see you and Katie together bringing down strongholds in your prayer times. God showing you people and showing you places. And then God says, now, declare and decree over those things. My will. And as you declare and decree, it's like it says, God will fill it. Watch him work. He will move on it. He says, the power I'm giving you is in your mouth in your tongue. This is a new season, people. This is a new season. God's not about the old. He's about what he wants to do now that will impact the future generations. You know? Walk with him. Talk with him. Spend time with him. Let him have it all. Father, I pray over these people right now, Lord God, that you placed in this place. I thank you, Father, for wisdom and revelation, for, for knowledge, for counsel, for might, for understanding, Father, for the fear of the Lord. I pray for them, Lord God, that, Father, that as they search for you this week, as they begin to walk with you this week, that, God, that you will move in their midst in unprecedented ways, that, God, that if they, if they need to... They need to dive deeper, Lord God. I pray, Father, you bring them to their knees, God. May they repent of, of having, having walked in a different way, Lord. May you bring them, O oh God, into a place, O oh God, of restoration and healing and deliverance. That, God, that as your people who are called by your name, your word says we'll do great and wonderful exploits. So, Father, speak to their hearts today. Speak to them. Heal their families. 
Heal their homes. Heal their bodies. Heal their mind. Bring us, O oh God, into that place of fullness of what you're doing in this hour. And I cover them with the blood of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey. We have some people that are willing to pray. If you need prayer for anything at all, you just join us in the altar. And I know that there's some of us will come around and pray for you. Otherwise, have a great Sunday afternoon. Enjoy your family. Spend some time with God. Thank you for joining us. Please like our podcast and leave us a five-star review. God bless and have an amazing week.